The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Their perfect season should be the last play. Hurts underneath, and now the laterals. And instead, it's going to be picked up for a touchdown on that lateral by Casey Tuhill. And the Commanders have won this game. And Taylor Heineke can celebrate a big road win here in Week 10. That was the final play of the game last night. A stunning upset, certainly to the country, a stunning upset last night. I think all of us talked as if Washington could be a competitive team in the game last night. I didn't pick them to win. Uh, Cooley bet them on the money line last night. Tommy's with me today. Cooley during the game is texting me during the game, and I got to tell you, he's not the biggest fan of the team anymore, but he was last night because he placed a large money line wager on Washington last night at my bookie, by the way. Go to mybookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC. They'll match your first deposit dollar for dollar all the way up to 1000 bucks. Um, but Cooley had him at play. I think he said it went off at plus 400. He got him on the money line. Um, and he was into every call. He was a Washington fan last night. And he picked him on the show yesterday. He thought that they had a really good chance to win the game. Uh, I picked Philadelphia to win. But I said, we're going to have a, you know, a 21-17 kind of a game, 17-13 kind of a game going into the fourth quarter. Um, and uh, they pulled it off. Uh, MyBookie.ag, Kevin DC, the promo code, as we slipped uh, the MyBookie read into the opener here. They're the best. Fair point spreads, fair, lo- uh, fair totals, fair money lines, Tommy, and they're giving away free money. I mean, you should sign up at MyBookie and, they, and take the 1000 bucks and use it to wager on some things here and there. How you doing this morning? <laughs> How are you? I'm doing great. I was doing great. I enjoyed myself last night watching the game at uh, my local uh, establishment here in town. And uh, you oh. know, I take I you know I picked I picked the, the Eagles to win. But the score was twenty nine to twenty four. Right. I thought they would Washington would put up a competitive effort. I thought they would bounce back, uh, and I thought they could run the ball, uh, which it turns out they certainly did. 
They did. Um, they really, really did. I, I, you know, it's funny because going into the Minnesota game, I said to you, you know, leading into that week, I said, this is actually a winnable game. You and I got into the d- debate about winnable or gettable or doable or gettable. I think doable. it was. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just inane stuff. Um, and I, and I said, and if they do, and they're five and four, they're going to be in this hunt for a wild card spot, you know, heading into the latter portions of no, uh, November into December, um, because the NFC is going to produce a wild card team at eight and nine or nine and eight. Now, I would guess it's going to take nine and eight. Now, um, I think San Francisco is really making a run, and uh, Seattle, you know, lost, but they got a pretty good record. And the Giants, Cowboys, Washington, now, you know, in the NFC East, it's probably going to take nine and eight. Um, but I really thought the Minnesota game was key because I assumed a loss against Philadelphia. Yes. And so without so yeah, so without the uh, win against Minnesota, I'm like four and six, you know, two losses in a row. Then they probably go back to Wentz, and I think they would have gone back to Wentz. Um, and uh, and then you know it's an uphill battle from there. But I'll tell you what, last night we're, I'm going to get to my game take. Tommy's going to be. Um, on the show today throughout, so he's going to be able to, uh, you know, kind of wedge in during my game take where I go through the things I liked and didn't like, and it's a long list, uh, both sides. There was a lot to that game last night, but I, um, I, they needed really in, you know, in going into these next two, they needed one of the two. I thought it was going to be Minnesota that was the game they could get, and they got one of the two. And if you were going to pick one of the two. You would say, well, let's take Philadelphia on Monday night against an undefeated team who has proven to be the best team in the NFC, if not one of the best two teams or three teams in the NFL this year because of the confidence boost You know, it'll give them. Remember, this was a Philadelphia team rested. They, they played 11 days ago. They didn't have the normal Thursday right. through Sunday. They had a Thursday through Monday night. You know, it was almost like a full bye week they were coming off of. It's Monday night. They're undefeated. They're about to show the country that they're going to make a run at the 72 Dolphins. And Washington went in there last night. And for those of you that, that tweeted me to talk about this lucky night that they had, that's bullshit. They kicked the shit out of Philadelphia for, for the they vast domi- majority of the game. They dominated in almost every category. Now, it I did, mean, dominated. Yeah. Did they, did they have a couple of things and breaks that went their way? Absolutely. Like every team does every week. Did you see Buffalo fumble the snap in their own end zone on Sunday? <laughs> yeah. when, their, when their win probability was like 99.6%? You know, so these things happen. But for the vast majority of this game, this was an ass-kicking. I mean... Yes, it was. So I um there time of possession, offense, number of plays, number of plays is almost double. They they ran fifty one plays in the first half. That's the most by any team in the NFL this season. Fifty one yeah. offensive snaps. When you see a time of possession mismatch, it's usually like they had the ball for nineteen and the other team only had it for eleven. Twenty four minutes they had it. Yeah. Philadelphia had it for six minutes. It really was. Um, look, there, there, there's some things I'm going to get to uh, that you know will uh, sort of, from my standpoint, from my opinion, describe why the game still was potentially losable, and they needed a break or two down the stretch, no doubt. Um, but for the vast majority of that game, Washington was the superior team last night. The superior 
team. And now, Tommy, as we do here on this podcast, we take it back 50 years. Because why wouldn't we? (laughs) We love going back 50 years. The 72 Dolphins (laughs) are popping the champagne cork last night and thanking the Washington Commanders last night. Two years ago, the Washington football team, they thanked when Washington went to Pittsburgh in that weird situation during COVID and beat the Steelers when they were 11-0. Two out of the last three years, it's been Washington, by the way, the team, the Redskins, that the 72 perfect Dolphins beat in Super Bowl seven to uh, finish off their 17-0 only perfect season post-merger. But Greasy and Morris and Warfield, your favorite. I know you love yourself some Paul Warfield. Larry Zonka. Uh, Bob Kuchenberg, Larry Little, Manny Fernandez. I mean, can, can you keep naming some of the Dolphins? Jake Scott, who, by the way, was the MVP of Super Bowl Seven, and would finish Dick his Anderson, career in Washington. Nick, Bonac- Dick Anderson, Nick Bonacani, Howard Twilley. Howard Twilley caught a touchdown pass in that game. Yes. Jim Kick. <laughs> Do you remember that Kick, Warfield, and Zonka all, all went to that World Football League? Yeah. Do you know who else went to that World Football League from Washington? Mr. You know, uh, Washington historian? I'm trying, to think. I'm trying to think. I should know. I should know. Uh, Five, no. four, three, two, one. Charlie Haraway, who was the fullback, the, the, the fullback who, by the way, carried the ball a lot for Washington, but was really Larry Brown's lead fullback, went to the World Football mm-hmm. League as well. There's a really good story written by somebody at The Athletic, and I'll have to find it. But for those of you like me who are subscribers to The Athletic, there's a really good story about the World Football League and what a complete shit show it was. Um, and a lot of those NFL players that took that money and went thinking that it was going to be, you know, a big deal, you know, it was going to be the new AFL and got, you know, some guarantees. Not all of them got their money and they ended up back in the NFL. Like Larry Zonka, who went back to the Giants and played Yes, when he yes. came back. Um, so the, the Dolphins 72 team now safe, courtesy of Washington for the second time in three years. So I, I wanna I'm gonna get to my game take in the second segment, but I wanted to start with my big takeaway from the game last night, and then I want your big takeaway. My big takeaway from the game last night is that this was the best win of the Ron Rivera era here, two and a half years in Washington. Um, I rank it ahead of that Pittsburgh win, ahead of the Tampa win last year. Pittsburgh win was weird. COVID year, Pittsburgh was on a short week. The game got rescheduled. The whole thing was weird. Pittsburgh, by the way, was turning into a, game, a team that really wasn't you know, worthy of, of the way they had started the season. Um, the Tampa game last year off that bye week, I mean, you know, it was just, it turned out it was the beginning of a four game win streak, but nobody knew it in the moment. Um, last night was not only the the best win for Ron Rivera, uh, since he came to Washington, but this was a coaching win last night. For me, that's my opinion. Last night was Washington was the more prepared team. They were the more energetic team. They were the more physical team. They were the more enthusiastic team. They were. They had a better game plan. They executed the game plan. 
all in the face, once again, of organizational, you know, distraction and chaos from last week. You know, so much so that we finally, for the first time, actually heard players discuss the distraction. Now, Ron did his thing when he came back from burying his mother at her funeral out in Northern California, where he did that thing where he said, you know, uh, we're focused on the things that are important, not interesting, um, which is kind of his, uh, you know, his his go-to saying when he wants the players to try to focus just on the games and the other stuff isn't important. Really, I think many times it's just so that he doesn't have to answer a question that he doesn't want to answer, but whatever. Um, last week was, you know, however it happened, more likely than not, it was the owner and that stooge lawyer that he has that's been out and about, you know, getting each all uh, getting each other fired up with some brilliant idea that they both thought would just, you know, completely smack the AG upside his head publicly before the press conference the following day. Backfired, of course, in a major way. Um, but Ron had that team and has had that team prepared and ready to play for several weeks in a row. The one in four going to Chicago looked like it was essentially season over. They could have easily lost the Chicago game, if not for a muffed punt return, probably saved the season in the moment that night. Um, And I don't think he's an elite coach, never have, um, but I certainly don't think he's the bum that many of you think he is. Uh, He's not, you know, an elite tactician. He's not an elite game manager or clock manager or any of that stuff. But Ron Rivera has proven throughout his career that for whatever the reasons are, and we're not young 25-year-old football-playing men in a locker room uh, on a, in, in a team atmosphere, he has the ability to get their attention, to get a message across, to keep them in the fight no matter what it looks like inside or out. He's never had a team go south on him, never had a team implode. Uh, and those of you that would say, well, so what? I mean, he hasn't been to the playoffs since 2017. I understand that. I understand that. But you know what? Um, he has players that play for him that hear his message. He finds players that sort of understand that. You know, a lot of these players that really understand it were not, a, were not brought here by him, but were kept here by him. Really didn't have a choice with guys like John Allen and Terry McLaurin. Last night's the first time I can really say, I think, you know, since he's been here, I really felt when they went up 17 to 14 in the first half and they were flying around and they were executing this game plan offensively to a T, I really felt like, you know, I I don't know what he is and where he'll sort of end up here, but this is a, a guy that figures out a way to motivate figures out a way to get it done when you least expect it. And I thought last night, 100% more than anything else, number one reason for the win was Ron Rivera and his staff. Not to mention a a beautifully crafted game plan by Scott Turner. Helps when you're making third downs to get more plays. Um, But uh, that last night was a coaching win for Ron Rivera and Washington. And I think that's the, you know, I don't know if it's the first time I've said that since he's been here, but it's the first time I felt it really, really strongly. Um, I don't think that there are a lot of coaches that would have had that team off of what they've been going through 
And I know people say, well, the players aren't going through it. Well, last week we did hear from players saying, you know, distraction that, that Brian Robinson was included in that uh, statement. But anyway, that's my big takeaway. Okay. What's yours? Well, uh, let, me, let me talk a little bit about that. Uh, we heard a lot from the Carolina players uh, how much they loved playing for Ron Rivera. Right. And Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio both played in this league a long time. Uh, so I think they understand the player mentality, and I think that's their connection. I think they're very good at it. Uh, you're right. You're not. You've never seen a team, you know, turn out like the Jim Zorn, you know, forty-five-seven swinging gate games or anything like that with Ron Rivera. You know, he keeps them competitive, uh, and I, 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 and you know, I, I don't want to take away from the win. And everything you said is right. Uh, but your premise is, you know, he's not an elite coach, but he's not, he's not the worst coach in the world. <laughs> and, and basically what we're saying is it could be a lot worse. Yeah. But it's not going to be much better. And that's, a, that's the limbo. That's, that's the limbo. You know, that's the limbo that this team finds itself in sometimes when they consider a good year. A good year is when you get to that limbo. So that's where we are again. Now, yeah. it, it, it was fun, and, and it, it's more fun than the alternative, but it's not as much fun as the other direction. The limbo thing's so interesting because, um, and we're going to, we'll save this for the most part until Thursday because this was, you know, this was a really unique win last night and we're going to focus solely on the game last night but for those of you that missed it Alex Smith did an ESPN podcast and he had a lot of lot to say about Washington and one of the things he said is it's a real dilemma it's kind of like the fans are in he didn't use the word limbo like they're not against the players but they can't root – a lot of them can't root for the team because they despise the owner so much. And they, they – essentially saying, if you root for the team, you're rooting for Dan to stay, and you, will, and you know what the result of that will be over time. It, it won't be good. Like you always say, the passage of time never really ends up being good for Dan Snyder. And there's a lot about this organization that's just in limbo. I mean – I'll, you know, I'm not nearly I'm, – I'm the perfect example of it. I really think I'm very, very much in the majority of long-time fans over the age of, call it, 35 or 40. You know, up until the age of, you know, 85, whatever. That it's like it just – it got to the point where it was too much and the passion was just slowly sucked out, extracted from our bodies. And I will say there's something last night where I'm like, kick the shit out of Philadelphia. You know, if it, if it had been Dallas on Monday night, there's still part of me that loves to see that happen against, you know, an arch rival, but it's, um, it's not the same. And, and so the coaching situation that you just described is limbo too, but that's the best they can do, Tommy. Yes, I know it is. I know it is. You know, I'm just acknowledging that. That, you know, that, that is, sadly, the best they can do. It could be worse. Now, uh, you talked about how the players mentioned, you know, how it started to come out that the players were, you know, sort of affected by the distractions 
They're upset. They're upset by it. Team. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I, I've been saying to you for a long time that people don't just forget about this. You know, these players don't go home to an isolated room and spend their off time, you know, away from the world. They have family. They have friends who are much more involved in out, the stuff outside the building than they are. So I'm sure these guys hear it when they go home and have been hearing it when they go home or from family or friends, you know? So it's, it's been, I'm sure it's been difficult for them to escape that. And the, the, the building, you know, has been their only uh, solace, their only uh, protection. And now it's seeping into there as well. But it, it didn't affect them in this game. That's for sure, and you got to give. You're right. You got to give the coaching staff credit for that. Uh, to have them ready to play un- under those circumstances. Now, here's a quote Rivera said after the game. I find this interesting. He says, "We can run the ball. We have to make certain we stay with it. The biggest thing we have to do is understand where we are, who we are, and what we can be." Okay. Now, to me, now, you know. I don't think this is where they I don't think this is who they wanted to be at the start of the year. No, agreed. I don't think Yeah, I don't think this is who they wanted to be. I think circumstances have forced them into this. But they finally got there. It took them a while to get there. You know, I I like Scott Turner too, but it took them a while to realize that, you know, the pyrotechnics that he may have all drawn up, you know, are not going to be as effective as handing the ball off to Brian Robinson and Antonio Gibson. But now they're at that point. They're at that point where, you know, uh, running the ball is their first mission. And pretty much, I mean, they ran for, what, 150, 150 yards or something like that? 152 yards. Yeah, but, but Tommy, that's been the mission here for several weeks. They just couldn't convert on third down. They, I mean, that, the, yes. this mission started with the Green Bay game because of the quarterback. They knew they had to yes. have a running game. And so they've been trying to do what they did last night, and they were, they were effective against Green Bay in doing it. They were kind of effective at times against Minnesota in doing it, and they blew a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter. You know, um, But in the, passing game, in the passing game that they used, particularly last night, they didn't well, – and, and they didn't uh, – they didn't put – Heineke back there for long periods of time. It's because it was third and one. It was quick. third and one the whole night. That's why. It's it's just they, they and I'll get to this in my game take. There there's a there are a couple of numbers from last night that are just eye popping. I mean I I haven't seen people write about their third down um, distances last night, but it's amazing. But I think that's what they would have preferred to have done the last few weeks had they not had you know had they had better third downs and they did have some good third down situations in previous weeks and they just didn't connect. But back to the statement that started this part of the conversation because I do think you're right. And I got this tweet from Devin, and I read it on radio this morning, so I'm going to read it to you. Kevin, you've got to go back to Wentz. By the way, I can't believe that this wasn't your number one takeaway. I was just waiting for you to say, well, my number one takeaway is that Taylor Heineke is the quarterback the rest of the year. Um, well, I don't. Ha- I didn't figure. I figured I didn't have to say that. That's that's, <laughs> that's that's so obvious. It's not even spoken. So Devin doesn't think it's as obvious. And I had a caller or two that said it wasn't that obvious either. But anyway, 
Devin said, you've got to go back to Wentz if he's ready. He's benefited from watching. The O-line is slightly better. The defense is much better. You add a big play element to this offense, this team should win 10 and a playoff game. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, last year when Indianapolis made their run back into playoff contention and actually should have made the playoffs had they beaten Jacksonville, it was because they kind of dialed it back and went to a run-first offense with Jonathan Taylor. I mean, Carson Wentz ran that kind of an offense, ball-control offense. There were games last, last year that they won during their, their run back into playoff contention where he didn't throw for 100 yards. Or if he did, it was like 140 on very few uh, completions. Um, I actually, I don't, uh, let me, let, hold on, let me answer the big picture question. Taylor Heineke is going to be the starting quarterback this week and should be the starting quarterback this week, okay? That's number one. Number two is Devin's also right. If you added a big play, ex- explosive, stretch the offense capability to what you're running now, it would be even better. If Carson could do the third and three easy pitch and catches that were there last night. Um but it, that's not going to happen, and it's not going to happen for one reason more than any other, because the performances from Taylor over these four games, even though they're three and one, okay, it's been up and down. Last night, I think it was more uh, was more up than down. Last week was more down than up. Green Bay was really split. It was a horrible first half, good second half. Indy was nothing for three quarters, and then brilliance over the final two drives. That's, that's, that, that's who he's been. That's what he's going to continue to be. But here's the, the reason you can't do it. It's the same reason that Mike told us way back in the day I had to go to Kirk. I would have lost the locker room. Jay had to yeah. go to Kirk. I would have lost the locker room. Ron Rivera in his first year, I had to bench Dwayne. Not only demo, uh, bench him, demote him to third string. I had 52 other guys I had to answer to. That's the reason. They can't yes. possibly say to the rest of the locker room after last night, Carson's healthy, he is our starting quarterback, he's going to quarterback against Houston. Especially when your most important players and your best players, specifically Terry McLaurin, have basically said all along, this is my guy, Taylor Heineke. Yeah. So it ain't happening. If Ron Rivera today says Carson Wentz, is the starter, it would be the biggest upset of the year in football. There's no chance that's going to happen, nor should it. I agree. I agree. It's uh, the locker. I mean, they clearly they don't hate Carson Wentz. He hasn't been here long enough to do what he did in Philadelphia. Okay, but they clearly love Taylor Heineke, and they just they just love the guy. And uh, you know, I mean, I I I don't. That would take the air out of the balloon if you made that move now. Yeah, totally. And and look, I, it's it sound it, it, it sounds like you know I'm saying that the players believe or others believe or even I believe that he's the reason that they are five and five. I don't believe that to be the case. I think he's been a contributor. And a positive contributor a little bit more than a negative contributor. And, Tommy, I'm going to say this, and I know you're going to disagree with me. I'm not so sure 
that what they've done over Green Bay, Indianapolis, Minnesota, and Philadelphia would have been that much different with Wentz. But I think it probably would have been slightly different. Enough different that maybe it's not 3-1, and one, it's 2-2. Two and two. And the reason really is they believe in Taylor. And you say it's not that they don't like Carson. I don't know what was going on there before he got hurt in Chicago. But I'm going to guess here that he, it's not like they were in love with him. It's not like they right. were big believers in him in that locker room. So, right. Now, if last night hadn't gone the way it went, then I think we would have seen Wentz against Houston. But, but, but yeah. I mean, I said that last yeah, week. we both I did. Said, we both did. You know, if, if, if he played good, he'll, he'll keep his job. Right. Even if they lost, if they he won. played good, he'd keep his job. And here they are, 5-5. Five and five. They have a path with Houston on the road. Let me just give everybody a fair warning on this. Washington is a three-point favorite against the team with the worst record in the league on Sunday, coming off that upset win last night on Monday Night Football. This is the absolute uh, NFL trap game defined. NFL trap game in the dictionary. Washington beats Philadelphia, the undefeated team, on Monday Night Football. They've won four out of five, and they lose at Houston the following week. Okay, this is the kind of game where coaching really matters again. They've got to have them as energized, as desperate, as urgent on Sunday because Houston gave Washington, for all intents and purposes, in their game against Philadelphia, the blueprint. Houston's not terrible. They were 21-17 to with Philadelphia going into the fourth quarter, running the football, possessing the football. Uh, so Sunday's huge. Then they get Atlanta, a team that is a run-first team. So is Houston. At home the following week, they have a path to 7-5 and five heading into December with back-to-back games against the New York Giants with a bye week in between that, that set up for monster playoff ramification December games. The Atlanta game's going to be big in the head-to-head. But this Sunday, look out. This is the one where if they get through this one and they play well and they beat a team that they actually are better than, I think they are, not a lot better than, but they're better than them, I'm going to give Ron Rivera even more credit a week from yesterday, a week from Monday, because this is the tough one. I've been an NFL fan and a better long enough. These are the games where usually you get to the window on the other team. I probably will be on Houston Sunday plus the three. I will. All right. Uh, what else in terms of big takeaways from last night? Uh, you know, for one of the things that for, for the way they dominated offensively, they still have a problem putting up points. Well, they got 26 last night. I mean, the six points at the yeah, end of the game. Yeah, but they got 26. It's they most... got 26, that's the, that's... including the, you know, the end of the game. But they got them because of turnovers. Um... Okay. I mean, they still considering the domination does not equate to the production on the scoreboard. That's because the drives were so long and so clock-churning. 26 points. They scored on five at the five consecutive drives. The four that ended the first Listen, half they don't, and the they first don't win that the game without Joey's, 
They don't win the game without Joey Sly. He's on my list. Let me get to that list. My game take coming up next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pay attention. Here's Here's Kevin's Kevin's Game game Take. Don't forget to rate us and review us, especially if you haven't done so. We've gotten some really nice reviews here recently on Apple in particular, where you can rate us five stars. Go do that if you don't mind, if you haven't done it. Pause the podcast right now and take 30 seconds to give us five stars, if you don't mind, in a quick one to two sentence review. This from Old Tiggy 40 via Apple Podcast. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Tom. For, the all, uh, for all the content from sports, politics, and entertainment. Can't get enough of you guys. I've been following Kevin and Tom since Gibbs 2.0. Well, thank you, old Tiggy40. Um, yes. th- this from the Blue Sheep 2. Where else are you going to hear a replay of Garo Yepremian's Super Bowl pass or movie and TV <laughs> show reviews with Doc and Tom and Cooley? Uh, and then he goes on to say very nice things about the pod. Um, appreciate that. Yeah, we just mentioned Super Bowl Seven in the open as Washington yes, last did. night uh, allowed the 72 Dolphins to pop the champagne and be safe for one more season. All right, um, let me get to my game take, the list of things that I like, the things that I did not like from the game, and several other observations. Tommy's going to sit here through this and feel free to interrupt whenever you would like. Um, let me start with the list of things um, that I like. First of all, as I mentioned, it's a coaching win. Talked about that in the first segment. This is, you know, a Ron Rivera um, able to, you know, batten down the hatches, keep his team focused with all of the chaos happening last week. They've gotten used to it. I mean, you can say that. But last week was a little bit different. I mean, it was almost as if the owner and the and the lawyer were drunk texting or drunk tweeting a press statement last week. I mean, it was so absurd. Um, but, you know, another you know week of the shit hitting the fan and Ron Rivera, you know, had a personal for, uh, funeral for his mother to attend as well. And yet this team was prepared. They were the energetic, more physical team um, against a well-rested team. Uh, went through a lot of this in the open, but number one for me is this was a coaching win. Credit goes to Ron Rivera, Jack Del Rio, Scott Turner, uh, and that staff. 
Um, number two on the list of things that I like. Um, the offense in the game last night. It's been a long time since I've had the offense, unless I've said like the second half or the first half or whatever. I think against Green Bay, I said, well, the offense was great in the second half, and it was. Um, but the key last night was down in distance all night long. Listen to this, Tommy. They had six third and ones. Six. I, I don't know what the record is for third down and ones. Keep in mind, the average number of third down attempts a typical team has in a game is right around 10 or 11, generally. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, depending on your explosiveness as a first and second down offense, you don't have that many third downs. Usually when you don't have a lot of third downs, it's reflective of a team that's really good offensively. Um, and sometimes when you have a lot of third downs, it's an indication of a team that isn't very explosive on offense, but is efficient in, on third downs. To have six Third and ones, I have no idea what the record is for a game, but I bet you it isn't a lot more than six third and ones. By the way, several of those third and ones were third and less than ones. They had, they had five third and twos and third and threes. They had four third and fours, third and fives. That's 15 third downs that you would call a winning down-and-distance number. Favorable distances for any team in the league, let alone a team like theirs. This was really a major key coming in. It's why there's been so much criticism of Scott Turner recently, because when you go 5-for-22 like they did in their last two games against Indy and Minnesota on third down, you can't feed Terry the ball constantly. You can't keep running the ball 35 times because you're not converting on third downs. And by the way, in some of these games recently, they've had decent third down numbers as well. Nothing like last night. You rarely get 15 third down attempts in a game, and they had 15 last night that were third and five or shorter. The key to the game last night. Now, they had to convert those, but how did they get to those? Well, they ran the football. 49 rushes versus 29 throws. They've been run heavy compared to pass since Taylor took over. It just, other than the Green Bay second half, they haven't really been able to get enough possessions, enough plays. The 49 runs, interestingly, resulted in 152 yards. That's not great. They averaged 3.1 yards per carry. That's not excellent. But the two backs. But it was effective. Yeah. The, it was the, effective. And he stuck with it because he said, we can't drop this guy back on third and seven or third and eight or third and 10 or third and 12. We have some things that can work on third and three, third and two, third and one, third and four. And he was right. Um, one of the reasons that they, the average was low is, to be honest with you, from my standpoint watching last night, there wasn't a lot of room to run. There weren't gaping holes. This was Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson doing all the work, led by, by the way, at times, multiple tight ends. They had, they had swapping right tackles between Cosme and Lucas. They basically each played half the game. 
Um, it was the best showing by Brian Robinson Jr., bar none. Best game of the year, best run was that 12-yarder. Physical run that got him down to uh, the, the goal-to-go situation, and then he scored with a great run where he reached that ball out. They crossed the plane. You know, he was 86 yards on 26 carries, not a great average, but tough yards. And they were contributing to getting into really good third-down situations. How about this stat from the game? Last night, they ran the ball in first and second downs consecutively 12 times. 12 times they ran the ball in first down, gained an average of 3.1 yards, and Turner said, that's okay, let's get us to a third and three, and ran it another on second down. 12 times they ran the ball in first down and second down, and it's not because they were getting nine yards on first down. Antonio Gibson was really good last night, too. Both of them moved the pile, okay? Both of them really created and got everything they got pretty much on their own last night. Curtis Samuel was in the backfield. He carried it four times, including taking a direct snap. Taylor Heineke had a couple of read option keepers, had a scramble or two. They had tremendous action in the backfield with their motion. They had a lot of reverse motion where they really had to make Philadelphia consider Curtis Samuel fly sweep. Um, I thought Turner did a really good job. He's done a lot of that. You know, I've given him some credit for being creative in the running game previously. But in the first half, they were 9 of 12 on third down. They ran 51 plays to 19, 24 minutes to 6, five drives, four scores. And then the other reason that they were good offensively is when they got into these third downs, which they were 12 for their first 16, ended up 12 of 21. And we'll get to, when I get to my list of things I didn't like, they weren't very productive in the fourth quarter, which was a problem. But they converted the third downs I mean, yeah. they and, and they did so with wide-open receivers. I mean, Terry McLaurin, they slanted him. Uh, how, there were four to five slants, either against soft coverage or him just pulling away. Other times on third down, they schemed up some beauties where it was literally pitch and catch. And I think Scott Turner, and I've said this before, and most of you have pushed back, I actually think Scott Turner knows what he's doing. He's had, you know, a rotating offensive line and not very good line and a lot of quarterbacks here in the first two and a half seasons. But he schemed some people open last night. They were wide open. I'm not taking anything away from Taylor because he had to make those throws and sometimes under some pressure. Uh, And he made some really good throws, period. But there was pitching and catching last night on third down. On the list of things that I liked, Terry McLaurin was the best player on the field last night. Um, I thought uh, John Allen was the best player on the field last week, and I think Terry McLaurin was the best player on the field last night. He was open all night long. Again, I mean, there goes another slant pass to Terry. I mean, take that all day long. It is a good throw for Taylor because it's a quick decision, quick throw. Um, He's able to lead Terry, who always gets separation. Uh, He had eight catches last night for 128 yards. There are a couple of shots for Terry that – Taylor shouldn't have taken, but the 42-yarder was maybe the best throw Taylor's thrown uh, ball, best, best ball Taylor's thrown all year. Terry McLaurin, best player on the field. In addition to down and distance last night being so significant to the win, turnovers. They, I, I said yesterday, you got to be at plus two. 
If you're at plus two, you got a chance to win the game. They ended up at plus two. Now, the final turnover on the final play of the game, the pitching around that led to the Casey Two-Hill touchdown and the final score difference of 32-21, to 21, th- there were really three turnovers that were significant um, to the outcome, but two of them came in the fourth quarter. I mean, two of them came with Philadelphia having the ball down 23-21 the first time, 26-21 the second time, and I don't know about you, but I watched that game last night and I thought, man, their best defense their best uh, defense has been the offense staying on the field and keeping Jalen Hurts off of it because Jalen Hurts is good. I thought he was outstanding last night, and they didn't have a lot of plays to prove it. He's got he is so much better. And I've been a fan, as most of you know, and I thought Philadelphia was going to be good last year, and I thought Philadelphia was going to be very good this year, and I thought Hertz would take a step forward. He is excellent now as a pocket passer. Excellent. He's so strong, too. But they got two turnovers. They got a turnover on an egregious miss of a face mask on Dallas Goddard. I mean... It is really hard in the open field like that. You sometimes miss face masks in runs in between the tackles with running backs where they just can't see it. That's a that's a tight end screen to Goddard, and Jamin Davis doesn't just you know grab it and let go. He grabs it and yanks it, and they miss the yeah. call. Completely missed I it. Know. These things happen in games. You know, sometimes you get the break, sometimes you don't. But that was one of the turnovers. And then the other one was on a play that Hurts throws an absolute dime to Quez Watkins, who got behind the secondary at a key portion of the game. And he doesn't get touched, and he gets up, and St. Juice makes a really good play to tackle him, force the ball loose, and Forrest came up. Down in Washington territory, that's a field goal right from – Right, right there. It's a f- minimum. It's a field goal in the lead. Probably, yeah. Right, yeah. Probably a touchdown and the lead at that point in the game. That's a game-changing play. Yeah, they would have actually. They were down twenty-six, twenty-one on that one. Um, yeah, I, right. I, so that's what I mean. That's a minimum a field goal. But if they score a touchdown, that's the go-ahead score. That's right. Well, the Goddard missed, you know, uh, face mask would have put them at the fifty-yard line, first and ten. You know, instead of a fumble recovered. You know, you because he got he got hit at about the thirty-four yard line, fifteen yards. They're at midfield with five forty-three to go at that point. Um, down, um, uh, yeah. Actually, wait a minute. The, um, the yeah, the the, the fumble. Uh, they're both fumbles. I'm looking for interception here, and it wasn't an interception on the long throw. Uh, the, the the throw to Goddard is out to the 37-yard line. They're in Washington territory if they make the 15-yard penalty, and they're only down two at that point with you know about nine minutes to go. So, yeah, the, the Quez Watkins fumble after the St. Juice play and the recovery by uh, Derek Forrest would have had them you know in, in the red zone, basically, and uh, – and Philadelphia closes in the red zone this year. And they're absolute closers yes. in the red zone. So, yeah, I mean, the, the turnovers were massive in this game. Joey Sly, 58-yarder, 55-yarder. The 55-yarder barely cleared the crossbar and came on a play in which Philadelphia declined an ineligible uh, player downfield uh, on Washington. It could have moved it back five yards. For those of you, and even on the broadcast, those five yards make a difference. Well, Washington would have had another third down play. 
and they would have probably picked up five yards, seven yards, whatever. They may have been in better field goal range. I actually did not have a problem, if I'm a Philadelphia fan, with declining that penalty. You know, 55-yarder, you know, not giving them another third down to convert potentially or to get better field goal range, I actually think was the right play by Philadelphia in that moment. Um, Sly's first field goal, by the way, from 44 yards. The 55-yarder barely cleared the crossbar. The 44-yarder barely got inside the left upright. But Sly was massive last night. Four for four and a 58 and a 55-yarder. You can't have more of an impact as a kicker on a game unless you know you kick one at the end of regulation to force overtime and then kick the game winner in overtime. He was great last night. Phenomenal night for Joey Sly. Um, also on the list of things um, that I liked. Uh, I'm going to play off of the Joey Sly thing because I think the end of the first half was very, into the uh, second half was really a very key part of the game, you know, other than the turnovers in the fourth quarter. So Washington's taken a 17-14 to 14 lead, okay? Philadelphia is on the field, and on first and 10, Gainwell drops one over the middle. It's seven or eight yards, and Philadelphia's off to the races. And then on third down, uh, Hurts um, throws to A.J. Brown, who fell down coming out of the break. He had man coverage. If he doesn't fall down, it's a first down. But Gainwell or Watkins, I forget who it was, uh, is wide open over the middle. And I, I think, you know, certainly Jalen Hurts would love to have that one back. But he's throwing to his number one receiver against man coverage to try to move the sticks. But he fell down. That was big because it gave Washington the ball again before the half instead of Philadelphia being able to score and then start the third quarter with the ball. And what Washington did with it was Taylor Heineke did not throw a good ball to Deami Brown. But Deami Brown went down and made an incredible catch before that ball hit the ground uh, at the 40-yard line that got him in field goal range. And they were up 20-14 to 14 instead of that being 17-17 at halftime. And then on Philadelphia's opening drive of the third quarter, they, uh, they, they've got a third and three, and they throw to A.J. Brown, number one receiver, and Kendall Fuller makes a big play. And they have to punt. Yeah, I think that sequence of going up 17-14 and dominating the first half, but potentially having Philadelphia score and then maybe score again to start the second half, it didn't happen that way. They got the you know the, the Gainwell drop, the AJ Brown falling down coming out of the break, and then the field goal drive, Deami Brown digging one out of the ground to get into field goal range, and then they kicked a 58-yarder. And then they got another field goal after Philadelphia got stopped when Fuller made a good play. And you had 23-14 to 14 during those couple of drives at the end of the first half, uh, start of the second half, instead of something a lot closer, you know, potentially even being at a deficit despite the fact that you've really played better. On the list of things that I liked, um, you know, clearly the missed face mask was a big break. The, the, there was a terrible call on a late hit on Curtis Samuel. Those were the two, um, uh, the, the, you know, the, the late hit against Samuel and then the late hit against Heineke at the end of the game were their best offensive plays of the fourth quarter. You know, they didn't do much in the fourth quarter. But those breaks that went their way, the misface mask, the bad late hit call against Samuel, and then the correct call against Taylor Heineke at the end of the game, it's a correct call by rule. Brandon Graham didn't, you know, tried to slow up, but he hit him, and he hit him neck to, 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 to head area, 
And whoever that referee is, I think it's Craig Perry on the on the on the ESPN Monday Night uh, telecast said, "By rule, that's the right call," and it, it ended the game. Yeah. I'll tell you what, man, you got to give Taylor Heineke a lot of credit for that one because what he did, you never see. You never see a kneel down after scrambling around on a pass play call, trying to avoid a pass rush. You never see that. And so it was a very odd play, I'm sure, for the Philadelphia defense as well. And then you're not sure, yeah. you're not really sure what he's doing. Is did he really take a knee? No, the play's not over with his knee down. He might get up again. You don't know. I mean, it was such an odd, awkward moment that I understand why Philadelphia was coming in to try to tackle him. He's out, he's a runner, he's outside the pocket. But he conceded. And they hit him late. After he conceded, it's a big break. Personally, as a football fan, I can't stand to see a game end like that on a call like that. But that's the rule, and Brandon Graham knows it. But Taylor sold it well, Tommy. He sold it like, you know, Neil and Rockville said, he sold it like he was playing for Washington FC. (laughs) Um, Lastly, on the list of things that I liked, defensively, they gave up some plays against a really good offensive team, okay? But one of the things that their rush defense did is they essentially created Philadelphia's game plan, which is we're not even going to try to run. They didn't even try to run in the first half when they had the ball. They were like, we can't run against Allen and Payne. We can't do it. We're not going to do it. I think in the first half of their 21 plays or 19 plays, I think 16 were throws, three were runs. And I think they had two other plays that were called with penalties that were were also pass plays. Now, they did try to run, and they ran effectively in the second half out of necessity, really. They just could not continue to let their defense go back out onto the field and sit out there for 30 minutes at a time. So defensively, I think their reputation coming in as a run-stopping team impacted the game and the game plan for Philadelphia. And then I think their pass rush at times was outstanding. Allen had a big rush on second and eight late in the game. Uh, Payne had a couple of big rushes. He was unblockable on a few plays. And then you got the sack, the big sack on third and eight, you know, with two and a half or you know, 245 to go in the game. All right, the list of things that I didn't like. Uh, the turnovers, you start with those. You know, you knew going into the game that this team led the league in takeaways, led the league in turnover margin. You couldn't turn the ball over, and they turned it over on the, you know, basically the first drive of the game. You yeah. Know, a- after, after the roughing the punter call, which I'll get to here in a moment, um, you, had, um, you had a sack fumble, and then three plays later, it's seven to nothing, bang, bang. Uh, and then Taylor's interception in the fourth quarter. He threw an interception in the fourth quarter last week. He threw an interception in the fourth quarter against the Colts. You know, you've now got three straight games of real back-breaking interceptions in the fourth quarter. We can focus on the positive, and I'm going to here shortly with Taylor, but you can't ignore, if you're trying to be objective, about three straight games of disastrous fourth-quarter interceptions. You know, one that cost them the game for all intents and purposes last week, one that nearly cost them the game, and he bailed them out, you know, in those final two drives, but it it put him down two scores in the fourth quarter. And last night, you're up and you're playing well, and it's a bad decision. He made a bad decision to throw into double coverage earlier, too, and didn't get picked. This one, 
you know, I'll, I'm going to go through Taylor here in a moment. But the bottom line is you've got to, and Aikman talked about this, and you, you see it with all the really good quarterbacks. If you're going to throw that against that coverage where you've got cover two and you've got a safety that's going to hedge over to your number one receiver, you have to look that safety off. He never did. And if you're not going to look the safety off, you've got to have a gun to get the ball in to, in, into that small opening that you have before the safety gets there, and he doesn't. So he's really you know, good. It, yeah. Go ahead. It was a bad. It was a bad play call in the first place. No, it wasn't. I think they were third. I guess they were. They were third and like four. Third and three. Yeah, they had been throwing third, third and, three and three a bunch. You've got two. You've got two plays to get three yards there. The last thing you want to do is turn the ball over to the Eagles in that situation. That was a bad play call. Terrible. Totally disagree with you. Um, it was a bad decision by the quarterback. They had been converting on third and threes all game long. All game long. Um, they're at the Philadelphia 43-yard line. I don't know if you're going to go for it in that particular spot up two on fourth and one. You might. If they had run the ball, wouldn't have mind, minded that. But it was not an absolute run the football. They'd been so successful throwing the football. And if he had been patient, if he had looked off the safety, he could have taken the shot at Terry. But if he didn't, he could have come right back over to the middle of the, to, to, to the crosser to, I think it was Samuel. It was a bad decision by the quarterback. Bad execution uh, two, by the quarterback. One run, two runs, opinion. you get the first down, you control the ball, you don't give the ball back to Philadelphia. I just don't understand why they decided to, to throw the ball. That because play. they had done it all night long Foolish. on third and three and been successful. That's why. Um, because he had had, you know, already like eight third and five, third and four, third and three throws for first downs. So, you know, they had run the ball on some of those third and ones, of the six third and ones. I think they ran it on a third and two and a fourth and one, too. Um, had absolutely no problem with the play call. The execution was terrible. The turnovers hurt. That's on the list of things I didn't like. The fourth and one delay of game. I don't know why there was a delay of game. I don't know if it was personnel, if it was the play call getting in late, if it was Taylor's fault. But here's the one criticism last night I have of Ron Rivera. You're the head coach. You, it's, a, it's the first half. You know, timeouts are sacred in the second half, not as sacred in the first half. You got a fourth and one. You, you're trying to score a touchdown there. You're playing the Philadelphia Eagles. You can't allow your quarterback or your offensive coordinator, whosoever fault it is, or somebody on the sideline that put the wrong personnel group in. You cannot allow that clock to go to zeros. You've got to unfold your arms you got to sprint to the referee, and you got to save your OC and your quarterback from a fourth-and-one embarrassing delay of game, period. And by the way, in the, in the second half, if it's a big fourth-and-one, that's, that's a spot where I'll use the timeout there, too. Um, and then lastly on the list of uh, – two more things in the list of things I didn't like – the fourth quarter offense produced nothing. There were two penalties that produced all of the yardage. The late hit, which was not a late hit on Curtis Samuel, and the Heineke late hit. That was all of the offense they had. As perfect as they were um, through, you know, after the opening drive and through the end of the third quarter, um, they, they really bogged down a little bit offensively. And it's too bad because I think on that third and three, they'll look at it today and say, Taylor, you got to go here. Don't take that shot in that spot. That wasn't necessarily the first read. You, we needed a first down, and you had a play over the middle that was open. And if you're going to take that shot, fine, because he hit Terry on a 42-yarder, big play. Um, but 
uh, you got to look the safety off. Lastly, I mentioned this last week after the Minnesota game, and I think I mentioned it after, I don't know, a game. Maybe it was Indy or Green Bay. I don't know. I said, they're going to get a punt blocked. Something's not right with the punt protection. Every single team is coming after Tressway. And Minnesota almost blocked two last week. And I think it was Indy nearly got one as well. And and I said last week after the game, uh, Katzer, the special teams coach, he, I hope he's recognizing that they're coming after him. I'm sure he does. He is a special teams coach in the NFL. I'm just a fan on the couch. But they almost got that first one. Now, they roughed him, but they came after him. And whatever teams are seeing against their punt protection unit, they got to fix. It could be the same issues they have offensively with the interior portion of their offensive line, which has leaked like a sieve all year long. But they got to fix that because that actually should have been blocked. Um, and uh, and they got the 15-yarder, which, by the way, it was a 15-yard penalty. That was not a 5-yarder. That was a 15-yard roughing the bunter. But I'm surprised they didn't get it. So they got to fix that. All right. Um, let me go through what I have on Taylor Heineke here, okay? Uh, because um, everybody always wants the evaluation of the quarterback. So I'm going to give you the evaluation of the quarterback. So the good plays from Taylor Heineke, and there were a lot of them. Uh, Early in the game, there's a third and two. They play action, third and two, Tommy. Play action, they throw to a wide-open Terry McLaurin for 20 yards. Uh, Really good play by Terry, too, to get open. I mean, that's an in-the-hole throw, a dime. He's wide open, um, but he goes to to his number one receiver on a third and two, hits him. Uh, There's a really good throw to Dotson for 14 yards down to the uh, four-yard line by Terry. Um, there's a third and two uh, throw to McLaurin out of the empty set for a quick first down. There's another third and two completion for a first down. Uh, one of the slants, and there were just slants all night long to Terry. Third and eight, one of the longest third downs they had all day. Slant to Terry for 14 yards. Excellent throw. Uh, on third and five, they threw it to, to a wide open. I don't know how they were scheming Terry so wide open, especially with Darius Slay on the field, but he was wide open all night long. That went for 18 yards. There's a third and 10 slant to Terry that goes for nine that set up the fourth and one that they could then go for with Curtis Samuel when they ran the fly sweep where he cut it inside pretty early. I was surprised, but he got the first down. Um, there's a third and six where he throws wide open to Curtis Samuel against the zone. Wide open. Um, Terry made a 20-yard game-saving play in the first half on the snap that sailed over his head. He gets, you know, he not only goes back and picks it up because he is he's an athlete. He then is able to get outside the pocket and throw the ball back 20 yards on the move to his opposite side to the line of scrimmage, because if he didn't get that ball back to the line of scrimmage, it's intentional grounding. He had a couple of zone read keepers last night. We've wanted to see this. Third and two, uh, and near the end of the first half, zone read keeper for seven yards before he threw that uh, ball to De'Ami Brown that wasn't a good throw that De'Ami Brown came up with. Uh, get to the second half. Um, he hits Terry McLaurin on a second and 12 slant for 11 that gets him into a third and one, and he snuck it for the first down. The deep shot to Terry on first and 10, and they ran some play action with him under center this week, last week in the shotgun a lot. Deep shot, best throw of the year for McLaurin, the 42-yarder to his best receiver, put it on the money. Uh, I think he made a really good play on the field goal drive that made it 23-14 on their first drive of the second half. They ran an RPO on second and goal. 
I'm pretty sure it was an RPO because the line was not um, uh, the, the the line did block downfield. Uh, they were blocking run. They almost they could have been called for in uh, an in, ineligible uh, man downfield, but he threw it away quickly to a Logan Paulson who uh, Logan Paulson Logan Thomas who wasn't open. That's a play that we've seen him in previous years try to make something out of nothing and make a big mistake. I thought that was a good play um, by him. And then the last play where he suckers Brandon Graham into late hit- hitting him to end the game. If not. You're kicking it back, and you got Jalen Hurts, no timeouts, and they got to go down and get a touchdown. Um, but are you betting against them in that spot? That ended the game. Uh, here were some of Taylor's bad plays uh, in the game uh, because there were some of those as well. Uh, he nearly got Logan Thomas decapitated in the first half on a bootleg, play-action bootleg first and 10 under center. He, you can't float that ball. First of all, he threw it to the wrong guy. And his balls occasionally float in sail. And Thomas was lucky to get up after that one. Uh, he had uh, a couple of those balls where he doesn't get his feet set and they sail on him. I mean, this is what we've seen with his inaccuracies. The balls are always yeah, fluttering right. and high. Um, he took a shot in the first half into double coverage, similar play where he got picked. Got to look that safety off, not the right throw, not the right decision. Uh, he had another floater to Cam Sims where the defender makes a really good play, but the ball's got to get there with a little bit of zip. You know, those are the plays where when you look at him, you're like, God, you know, you just have to throw that ball with a little bit more of, of zip. Um, I don't think the third and goal sack was his fault. Troy Aikman, you know, who, by the way, I mean, I love Troy Aikman. And I I do. I actually think he's a hell of an analyst. And I've never felt over the years, as many of you know, I've never thought that he was biased towards the Cowboys or, or, or against the rest of the NFC East. I actually think he's pro-NFC East teams. Like, I think he's always wanted them to do well. Um, he, because Norv Turner basically was his best friend, and uh, considers Norv Turner to be a genius. And Norv Turner inducted Trey Aikman into the Hall of Fame. So he's very close with Scott Turner as well. And you could tell from the jump that Troy was rooting for Washington. And I thought it was interesting because you know Troy talks a lot to Scott and Norv. What he said before the game, he said, look, what you're going to get with Taylor Heineke is you're going to get some good plays and you're going to get some head scratchers. And those of you that have been watching know that. It's a bit of a wild ride, but the players do believe in him. You know, that's coming straight from Scott Turner. Okay, straight from Scott Turner. Um, But he tried to pin the third and goal sack a little bit too much on Heineke. I thought it was an immediate pass rush. I don't think he had a chance on that, personally. I think some of the sacks that Wentz took early in the year were not really on him. I think some of these pressures this year have been immediate. Um, the interception obviously is just a bad ball, no look off, you know, just a bad decision, uh, all together. Uh, and then that's it. I mean, I think he was a solid B last night. I mean, he executed that game plan. He converted those third down throws. He had third down zone read keepers. Um, the decisions mostly were good ones. There were a lot of easy pitches and catches on third and twos, third and threes, third and fours, understood. But you still got to make those throws against an NFL pass rush. And, you know, the pass rush wasn't as relentless as it was 
Uh, the O-line did a better job in pass pro. There were still some moments where he was under duress. Um, but I give him a solid B. I, I think actually probably given the game plan and what they asked him to do, maybe the best start to finish performance. Now, the last two drives against Indy were spectacular, and he was really good in the second half against Green Bay. He had another fourth-quarter interception that could have really hurt them. And he's going to have another one, by the way, in the next couple of weeks. Okay, we know that. But if he can make and run this game plan the way they want it run, good for him uh, and good for them. And and they're going to have chances with that good defense. Yeah. The the interception uh, that I had a problem with, the play call on that, that was a much farther pass than all the other third and short yardages they did. They used that was a farther pass. It required more of him. He had to go back further on that. Yeah, it but was, Tommy, it was a longer but, but, play. but Tommy, you don't know what the reads were. I mean, that 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 that's the shot he took. You, you said that you had a problem with them throwing the ball on third and three. They threw it all day yes. long on third and short. But but yeah. when they threw it, they threw it on, on you know, like you said, maybe ten, fifteen, twenty yards. Yeah, tops. right. They were quick. They were quick passes. That one wasn't. Okay, well, you've, you've moved the goalpost for yourself, which is fine. You've come off the run now, and you're okay with the throw, which is what I was saying. I was okay. No, I'm not okay with the throw. I'm just saying you're okay with that the, you, the, the, you're the, saying the, they the, were – I'm just saying that, that that was a different play than your defense, that they were making it all night. They weren't making that play all night. Well, I don't know, and you don't know, whether or not that was the read he should have taken. There was a receiver wide open over the middle, short to medium length to move the sticks. He decided... Well, we don't know a lot of things. Yeah, I know What we do know is it was an interception, and they likely could have gotten the first down with two running plays. Look... You said initially you got to run the football. I said I disagree with you. They were throwing the ball and calling passes on third and short all day and converting. Now, if we're going to move the conversation to the decision that Taylor made to throw the deep ball, yes, that might How do you know that was his decision and wasn't the play? I I don't know, but I'm telling you that I did not have a problem with the idea of throwing the football on third and three. Okay, that's I my get point. That. I'm just saying that that was different from the other third and shorts that they threw on. Yeah, it was. I mean, there were some deeper. There were some deep shots into holes. There were there was there were 17 and 18 yard passes. Now Taylor, I think. Look, Tommy, when you come to the line of scrimmage on a pass play, okay, there are you know th- there is a number one, there's a number two, there's a three four. Okay, whatever I it know is. That. Okay, and it's based on what Taylor sees defensively. So I, my guess is, considering what they had run all night long on third and three, that the defense presented something with him pre-snap that said, I got a chance to go for the jugular here. I'm going to take it. The problem was he did not execute the play well. As Aikman pointed out, and you know most football fans know, when you're throwing into that safety help, you've got to manipulate the safety with your eyes. You've got to move him over to the hole where I think it was Samuel coming underneath. I don't have the play up in front of me right now. And he did not do that. And, if, and so the execution was bad. I think his decision, more likely than not, was not the right decision. I don't think the play was, we're going to take a shot here on third and three. But by the way, if it was, you know, and you can manipulate that safety, it's pro- McLaurin's got a step. On the defender. 
But the, the argument started, not the argument, the discussion started with you saying you didn't want him to throw the football on third and three. And I said I had no problem with them running, throwing the football on third and three. They had done it all night. I did, okay. okay. I didn't want them to throw that play on right. third and well, three. Well, just make sure that you make that point before you go back and watch the play. If you're going to participate in the game take, in the Kevin's game take on the days after games on the podcast, you got to be prepared. Um, I wanted to mention a couple of other things real quickly. I love Antonio Gibson as a kickoff returner. Love him as a kickoff returner. And I don't think that was a hold on Armani Rodgers on the opening kickoff of the, of the, of the game. He had a 41-yard return. He's had a couple of big ones. I don't like when he lets the ball land in the end zone a yard or two deep. Take him out. You know, it, until last night, they had a real problem scoring points. Gibson's going to break one one of these days. Um, I think the penalty on St. Juice versus Devontae Smith on, on the defensive pass interference on Philly's second drive, which they scored on, I thought that was a good call. Personally, I thought that was a, a call that was right. I think that was a, a definitely a defensive pass interference. Um, what else did I have here? Oh, end of the first half. I thought Logan Thomas got out of bounds. I, I've said, I said last week that NFL games in length are the fastest they've been, Tommy. I forget if I did this with you or not. They're, they're averaging three hours and two minutes, the fastest NFL game average since 1993. And there is this obsession from the NFL to shorten the games. I don't know why that is. I don't think anybody has, a, has an issue if the games are three hours and six minutes in length. I really don't. College football, different discussion. But there was another example. Logan Thomas's forward progress I don't think was stopped. And he got out of bounds and the referee's winding the clock. And Gibson, by the way, on the play before that, that, that injury cost them uh, their last uh, timeout. Uh, Jeremy, Jeremy Reeves had a massive hit on kickoff return. He's a good special teams player, and their kick coverage has been really, really good uh, this year. Um, what else did I have here? Uh, I mentioned the ineligible decline. I didn't have a problem with that from Philly's standpoint. Um, oh, the Dotson offensive pass interference call. I didn't like that call. I think that was a bad call. I, I do. I, I, I it probably I, was. I thought it was. I thought it was a bad call too. I think that you it know. It came after the face mask call, didn't it? Um. Yes. It, it came can, after they missed the yes, face mask. It, it did. It did. <laughs> it, it, it. You know. So there is that. You know. Makeup call mentality. <laughs> um. But I. I do think though that. Like they would tell you, it's it. He didn't make contact. He was running his route. The problem is, is that. Once you create any kind of contact, even if you're running the route and you're not in search of a pick, contact is going to basically bring a 50-50 chance into a call like that. You've got to avoid the contact. You've got to run your route. That's fine. But you've got to avoid the contact. You don't have to avoid the contact on a non-pick play. But that's a pick play. And whether you're running the route naturally and they get in the way or not, you've got to avoid the contact. And so we see that all the time where there's this, you know, the, the, it's a, it's a, you know, they schemed it up perfectly. You know, it is a pick play. I mean, let's not make any, you know, uh, uh, it, 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 don't describe it any differently. That's the, that's the intent of the play is for Dotson to get in the way somehow to free up Samuel. 
but you've got to get in the way and then get out of the way, you know? And and if you meet, make contact, even if you're not searching it out and you're running your route, it does give the referees a chance to make that call. But I didn't think that there was enough contact, and I thought there was enough of a natural route run from Dotson where they, you know, in a normal circumstance, maybe after the, the Miss Face Mask, they were looking for a makeup call. Well, they got it there, and that was a big play. That was a really big play in the game because – you know, then Philadelphia got the ball back with another chance um, after stopping them there. But hell of a game, um, really good game. Uh, what, 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 what are your? I mean, I want you, you were going to kind of jump in every once in a while, and you did. But what were your observations that I didn't touch on? Well, I mean, you know, it was funny because uh, you know when they would show when they nothing to do with the game, but they would show Washington fans. Uh, in the stands occasionally, you know? Yeah. And uh, we've all heard the stories, and some of us have seen the, the, the position a Washington fan puts themselves in in, in, a, in a football game in Philadelphia, especially when they're wearing their, their uh, team's gear like that. And I'm wondering if that softened a little bit. I didn't see any police reports about dead <laughs> bodies in the parking lot. Well, the the rival, you know? it's not as intense as it once was. I don't know. I, that's my immediate reaction. I mean, Philly and, okay. Philly and Washington used to have, you know, big games that mattered. Yeah. And it was the Redskins. And, you know, I've said this before about the change in the name. There's a bit of a jolt to the other NFC East fan bases, too. Think about it. If the, you know, think about if the Eagles were forced to change their name to the Commanders. It, it'd be, yeah. It's weird. You know, it's not the, you know, we're all kind of of this NFC East family, this NFC East longtime, you know, DNA. And there's a lot of history. There's a lot of tradition. There's a lot of dislike. Um, and, you know, there's also a, a brotherhood of sorts. You know, the NFC East, Tommy, is probably the marquee division slash conference it was anyway. Maybe it isn't. It isn't anymore. Although this year it's making quite the comeback. But you know, people, sports fans, NFL fans, you know who the four NFC East teams are. You know, just like you know who the SEC West teams are. You used to know who the ACC basketball and the Big East basketball teams. You probably know pretty much the makeup of the AL East in Major League Baseball. But the NFC East has been the brand, if there is one, for divisions in the NFL over the last 50 years. I I think you're probably right. I think Eagle fans may have been more pissed off at their team than anybody. (laughs) Right. But I wonder (laughs) if they viewed it like they used to, or if they viewed it like, you know, the Saints were in town, or the Chargers were in town. Yeah. You know, uh, versus the Cowboys, Giants, or Redskins. All right, I know you've got something you want to finish up with. A few more thoughts when we come back right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Well, we have a new sponsor, you know, not as new as it was a few weeks ago, but our good friends at Shelly's Back Room, Tommy's favorite place to go down, hang out, smoke cigars, and have great conversation. You know, last Thursday night I was there at Shelly's, uh, after the, the class I teach at Georgetown, like I usually am on Thursday nights. And it was a beautiful night. You remember the, that last week with the temperatures in the 60s? 
you know, at 10 o'clock at night. Uh, and there were people outside, you know, like 10, 11 o'clock at night, eating, drinking, yep. having a good time, smoking their cigars. And that's changed now this week. You know, it's a little bit colder <laughs> out there. I don't think you're going to be sitting outside at Shelley's at 10 o'clock at night when it's about 35 degrees out. But that's okay, too, because there is no nothing that is better than coming in from the cold and walking into Shelley's back room at 1331 F Street. You know, they have this soft lighting. Uh, they've got these, these uh, cozy couches and overstuffed chairs. It is so inviting. You know, when, you, when your face is cold, you're coming in off the street, you know, and you walk into this place and it's warm. It, it's like, like a scene out of, a, out of a, a ski lodge movie or something like that. It, it's that kind of inviting. Uh, and then when you get a nice whiskey, and they have some of the best whiskeys that you can find, a great selection of whiskeys to warm you up, and then you light up from one of their great selections of cigars that they'll help you select, it, it, it's, it's, there's no better place to be uh, on a winter day than inside Shelley's relaxing with good conversation. So please, try it once for yourself. I guarantee you'll like it. Shelley's Back Room. At thirteen thirty one F Street. What is West. what is it about a you know a really good neighborhoodish kind of place, which Shelley's back room really is cigar bar for sure, but it's not you know it's not your granddad's cigar bar. And there's great sports on TV and a bar and a menu and people having conversation. But there's something. And by the way, I think especially holiday time, you know November and yes. December, where you're all bundled up, it's cold, and then you come into that place. Like, it just, it reminds me of, of, of all of those great Cheers episodes, especially holiday time. You know, as they came in the door and the snow was falling and they brushed the snow off their coats, took their coats off, saddled up and said, Sam, pour me one. Um, wouldn't it be, I mean, what do you think about neighbor, like, I, they, there were there have been some decent Bethesda, which has been pretty much my hometown, you know, or home area. There have been some good neighborhood bars, but not a lot of them. You know, one that that a lot of people will remember uh, if you lived in if you were in Bethesda in the '90s, T Bones, which was uh, which was on Wisconsin Avenue, Wisconsin and Leland Streets. Um, it was owned by uh, my my friend Carl McCarty, uh, Gary Williams, and Jimmy Patsos, and all those guys were involved as investors and owners. And it was a great neighborhood bar, great neighborhood bar. Tommy Joe's has a lot of that. Um, you know, in Bethesda, um, you know, caddies, I know for, for, you know, maybe a younger crowd. Um, although I've gone in there a few times as well, but I love those neighborhood bars and there's something about those neighborhood bars holiday time or when it's cold out. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. They're hard to find hard to find in a city like Washington because Washington is, yeah, as we've said numerous times, a transient city, a city of visitors, a tourist. I mean, you're likely to sit down next to a guy from Michigan at Shelley's as you are from a guy who, who maybe grew up in D.C., you know. But, but that's what makes it such a great place is that uh, you have people that are willing to embrace other people. I mean, cigar smokers are generally secure people, okay. And I think that helps when you're having conversations with strangers. And you're going to find a place, something like that, at Shelley's. You're going to find 
a room full of secure people who welcome the, the chance to be able to talk to people that they've never met before. Not everybody likes to do that. You know, and if you don't like to do that, you know, people will leave you alone, too. You know, I um, there's no doubt that Washington's different for the reasons you said, but there's another reason, too. You know, a lot, it, there's not a lot of blue collar in Washington. You know, there isn't any, really. Um, or, it's, no. you know, it's, 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 you know, so when you go to what's, is your place called Rudy's in East Stroudsburg? Isn't that it? Yes. Um, I mean, yes. that is a, that's, I'm assuming, that's a real neighborhood kind of place, you know? And oh, we, yeah. It's, it, co- it's college, too, because it's a small college. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I like those places, you know, and I love, by the way, sometimes just being in a bar, having conversations with people that you just meet, you know, and sometimes, by the way, it's the bartender. You know, if, if, if they, you know, if they're, if they're interesting, um, to talk to, but I wish we had, you know, if you, if I, I'm assuming you've got a place in, in Frederick that you go to, right? Well, it's not a bar. I, it's a cigar lounge okay. a place where I go to smoke cigars. Right. You can bring your own stuff. Uh, you know, quartermasters is a great place in Frederick. And, and I, that's, that would be my place. All right. I guess enough about that's why I watched the game last night enough, at, at quarter last. There you go. Enough about neighborhood bars. Good topic, though. If you want to tweet Tommy at Tom Lavero or me at Kevin Sheehan DC with, I want area bars that you consider to be really good neighborhood bars around town. I don't care about you know some place in Ohio that you grew up in. I do care. It's not that I don't care, but I mean, I, I think that we, we don't have enough of the these around, or at least in the areas in which I grew up and have lived, primarily. We, sh- we should open up a bar, Kevin, you and me. I'm not going to ever be in the bar or restaurant business. I know too much about it. I w- uh, Tommy, I've told you this before. I mean, I waited tables, bartended all through college and even briefly after college. And when Tony and... Um, you know, uh, and Alan and, and Gary and Maury Povich, when they bought Chadwick's, I remember Tony calling me and saying, hey, we're going to buy Chadwick's. And I said, why are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to turn it into my podcast studio and restaurant business. I said, you're, you don't do that. Don't, don't get into the restaurant business unless you're planning on working the business, which of course Tony wouldn't. And y- I'd be in there every day. I'd be like, where's Tommy? Uh, Tommy's not here. You'd, you'd, you'd be coming in. You'd, st- you'd saddle up at the bar and say, pour me one. And Sheehan's in the back trying to figure out why we lost so much money last month. There you go, baby. Uh, no, I'm not going to be You know what it's business. like having me for a partner. Okay. All right. Uh, I did want to mention. That one last thing. She- yeah, let me just. Okay, okay go ahead. I was just going to say, Schefter's reporting that Chase Young is going to play Sunday and be activated and play for the first time this week against Houston. I mean, I'm going to be interested to see to see what he looks like. Um, I, I I'm going to say something, and I don't want to say it because I'm I'm rooting for the opposite because I want to be right about Chase Young. Uh, I want to be right that he is a, you know going to turn into this dominant player. But you know, there's some mojo going on defensively. And I'll tell you what, James Smith-Williams has played really good football. Two Hills played some good football. Sweat's yes, playing some yes, good football. So yeah. uh, don't, They got you know, something good going. I mean, I don't think, look, use him situationally. Um, use him as a straight pass rusher, you know, and, and let's see if the explosiveness is still there. 
It'll be interesting to see what they do with him. Anyway, go ahead. What did you have to finish up the show with? Well, one last thing. Uh, this is a story from Election Day involving my son who lives in Baltimore. Uh, you know, I vote through the mail. I do a mail ballot now, you know, happy with the way it works out. Uh, but my son, even though he's young, he went the old school way. He showed up at a voting uh, station and, and voted. And he sends me this text. The guy who scanned my ballot just asked me, is your dad Tom Lavera? I've listened to him a lot. Tell him I'm a big fan. And it, Rocco, he, he, he didn't even say any words to the guy. He saw his name down there, and he just volunteered that question. So I thought that was pretty cool. <laughs> of course you did. I mean, you're <laughs> acting like it's unusual. People all the time ask, uh, this is, this is a, uh, ask, I know that, but this is ask a me about <laughs> you. I, I mean, I get, I get more questions about you than I do anything else. I'm not talking about the cops. I'm talking about fans. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, what else? Uh, that's it. It was that's it. Boss. I, I, you you didn't weigh in on what was an incredible NFL Sunday with really, I think, one of the greatest and more and most exciting regular season games in in a long, long time in Buffalo Sunday. Oh, I'll give you something um, to talk about since we were talking about you know coming in from the cold into into bars. Buffalo plays Sunday at home against Cleveland, and they are warning the um, Buffalo and the you know the 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 western portions of New York uh, state weather wise that they could have an epic and epic snow event uh, this coming weekend, late in the week and through this weekend. You know some of the biggest snow totals from any storm ever have fallen with lake effect snow off of Lake Erie in those western areas that are typically south and east of Lake Erie. Well, it can't be really, well, it can be, it's slightly west, but it's got to be south of Lake Erie. And they're warning of, you know, they've had, Tommy, you know, 90 inches, you know, over a weekend of that lake effect. Uh, For those of you that don't know what lake effect snow is, I'm going to explain it because I enjoy weather conversations when it gets really cold but it's early in the year and the lakes the great lakes aren't frozen over when you get a cold front that passes over those lakes it lifts up the moisture forms clouds and rolls onshore into the areas near the lakes and dumps snow dumps and and the biggest snow events we've ever seen in our country are either the you know the really high elevations of the Rockies or the Sierra Nevadas um, out west, or the lake effect snow, especially in western areas of upstate New York or you know the the western part of of the state. Um, and they're saying and they're calling for um, a potential epic snow event in Buffalo all weekend long. And, you know, Buffalo fans will show up in anything. I mean, I, they'll end up there. But keep an eye on Cleveland at Buffalo this Sunday at 1. If it ends up being what they think it's going to be, that's one of those games you could see potentially, you know, moving to Monday or Tuesday. Because unlike the old days when they would play through anything, we've seen in recent years when there's a massive snow event or ice event or hurricane-ish kind of event, they, they'll, they'll postpone it. It used to be, you know, the mail uh, carrier uh, motto with, with the yeah. NFL. I mean, rain, sleet, or snow didn't matter. But um, 
You're going to have some weather all week long and into the weekend, probably right into Thanksgiving week especially. I mean, it's going to be really cold here right through the early part of next week. Um, Unusually cold for this time of year. But uh, heads up, if you're betting the Buffalo-Cleveland game, you might want to look at the under right now. Although what's funny about snow games, a lot of them in recent years have sailed over the total. Because teams haven't gotten conservative, they've just thrown the ball because it's harder to play defense in snow than it is offense. Because the offense knows where they're going. Uh, Anything else? Were you interested in that? Probably not. Probably not. All right. Uh, Thank you for joining me on this very, very exciting day after a big win. Uh, I'll be back tomorrow with Cooley. 58-yard try would be a career long. High snap kick is good. And what a first half by the Washington Commanders. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.